This is Acts chapter 8 this time. This is class content from the Laurel Heights Church of Christ for December 9. I'm hearing good things about this approach to the book of Acts, taking one chapter for each class. There is certainly an important place for verse-by-verse detailed exposition, and we do a lot of that here. If we are in an epistle or in the Sermon on the Mount, we do that sort of thing. The book of Acts is largely narrative, and so the chapter-by-chapter approach seems to work very well. I often begin with four fast facts, and I'm going to do that this time. We are introduced to this man, Saul, who will later become known as the Apostle Paul. As persecution increased, preaching increased. Philip became prominent in the work in Samaria, one of the most important conversion cases, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. All of that in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start now in Acts 8 with verses 1 through 3. And Saul approved of his execution. That, of course, was the execution of Stephen we studied in the previous class. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men and women buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now this man, Saul, is actually introduced in the narrative back in chapter 7, where he is standing by holding the garments of the execution squad. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. And the murder of Stephen introduced a wave of persecution. It says here, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. One result was the disciples were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. The apostles remained in Jerusalem, but many disciples were scattered. After Stephen's funeral, Saul's hostility against the work of the apostles took off. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We're going to continue now at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. In this kind of class, there isn't time to explore in depth, but I will say the Jews and the Samaritans 
did not enjoy a friendly relationship, generally speaking. There is a history of conflict between the Jews and Samaritans really going back long before Christ. We are told in John 4, 9 that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria that would involve some risk, and he's preaching to unlikely prospects. But with the signs and wonders that accompanied the early proclamation of the gospel, he got the attention of the people, and many paid attention in spite of the opposition of demons. So there was much joy in that city. One of the first converts in Samaria was one of those people that we would classify as an unlikely prospect. Listen to this. I'm in Acts 8, 9 through 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let's profile this man, Simon. He had previously practiced magic in the city. 
There is no reason to think there is anything other here than sleight of hand. Nothing is said anywhere in this context that would indicate some supernatural force. He was a street magician. He had with his tricks amazed the people of Samaria, and it was actually said he himself was somebody great. Verse 10 expands on this. People said about Simon, this man is the power of God that is called great. So here is a man who boasted, received attention, and for a long time amazed the people. We're going to call him an unlikely prospect. But when the people of Samaria heard the gospel, believed what Philip was preaching about Christ and the kingdom, they were baptized, both men and women, including Simon. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, the apostles hear that there are now Christians in Samaria. So Peter and John came to Samaria and imparted the Holy Spirit to new Christians through the laying on of their hands. Let's be aware, men like Stephen and Philip were not apostles, so they could not bestow the Holy Spirit to enable people to perform miracles and speak in tongues. So it was necessary for Peter and John to visit Samaria to equip Christians in those early days of the spread of the gospel. Simon is paying close attention to all this. He's watching. This is interesting to him. While it is true Simon has been baptized, he is a Christian. He is a young Christian. Temptation hits him. He offers money so he can do what he just witnessed. Peter rebukes him in the strongest terms and calls upon Simon to repent. It is clear to us reading this he should not have even thought of turning something spiritual into something lucrative. So Peter said to Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Simon responded, pray to me to the Lord, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Gospel preaching was resumed. And did you know that ever since that day, the attempt to turn the spiritual into the lucrative, to traffic in the things of God, has been called simony. We are in Acts 8, 26 through 40. That's the next section of Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip 
to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him, the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. If you are reading along with me and you think I left a verse out, just hold that thought, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. All right, Acts 8, 26 to 40. Philip is directed by the Lord to go down to a desert area between Jerusalem and Gaza. And Philip obeyed and came in contact with this man from Ethiopia. The man in the chariot was reading the Bible. That is to say, he had a copy of the prophecy of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Since he had been to Jerusalem to worship, there can be a presumption he was worshiping with the Jews, and he heard about the Messiah. Curious, he is reading what the prophet said. Philip engages the man in conversation and listens to his question. Who is this prophecy about? Philip started right where the man was in that passage and preached to him the good news about Jesus. This little phrase includes the basic message of the gospel the good news about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he did, what it means, and what to do to be saved by him. That's all in that phrase. He preached to him the good news about Jesus. And there was a response. They were going along the road. They came to some water. See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the man was baptized and went on his way rejoicing. That's Acts chapter 8. Now, let me explain something about verse 37 just briefly. Verse 37, it's what we call a manuscript variation or an alternate reading. If you have the New International Version, or the English Standard Version, there is no verse 37. If you have the King James, New King James, or American Standard, or New American Standard, 
There is verse 37, but sometimes it's in a footnote. Actually, in my English Standard Version that I read from, uh, it is in a footnote. Translators who work from copies of the original Greek do not find verse 37 in all their copies. And so it is considered what is called a disputed verse. Some translators are not certain about verse 37, and that's what this is about. I want to point out that the eunuch confessed his faith is implied in that Philip would not have baptized a man before faith. I also want to remind us these manuscript differences or disputed verses are never of such a nature that their omission leaves us in the dark. So many other passages talk to us about confessing faith in Christ that the fact that this one is disputed does not make, does not leave us in the dark, does not make a big difference in the overall scheme of New Testament documentation. I found this quote from Douglas Stewart, and then I'll leave this alone. It is fair to say that the verses, chapters, and books of the Bible would read largely the same and would leave the same impression with the reader, even if one adopted virtually every possible alternative reading to those now serving as the basis for current English translations. So, all considered, don't be concerned about that. Plenty of other passages talk to us about confessing faith in Christ. To our takeaways from Acts chapter 8, God, in his mysterious providence, can turn bad events into good. It, it may be easy to think or assume after they kill Stephen and then the persecution breaks out, it's all over. But it didn't end there, did it? God strengthened his faithful people to carry on to use the circumstance of difficulty for the growth of the kingdom. When things get bad, we need to cheer up and keep preaching and know that God is still with us. In serving God, there is never a time, never a reason to give up or quit. Never. All through the book of Acts, there's one message. The apostles and preachers all through the book of Acts are delivering the same singular message message. They are not setting up diverse groups with differing messages. To this group, I'll give this message and this group a different one. And the Holy Spirit gave one message, and we have it in this book. We have the one message in this book. The number of unlikely prospects in the book of Acts should give us great pause in our assumptions about people. Simon, the Ethiopian man, later Saul of Tarsus. Here's why I bring up unlikely prospects like Simon, the Ethiopian, Saul of Tarsus. There is a sort of natural inclination when we first see people, perhaps before any conversation, to put them in a category and sometimes we make an assumption that they wouldn't be interested in the gospel. That's just wrong. 
in terms of assumption and attitude. The book of Acts demonstrates over and over we ought to make no assumptions, just sow the seed, spread the word, and leave the increase to God. This passage instructs us about what to do when there is sin after baptism. What do you do when there's sin after baptism? Simon is a case study of what to do after baptism when you sin. And there's a one word answer, repent. And that includes asking God to forgive you. There was no instruction to Simon to be baptized again. Peter said, repent of your wickedness. Because we are free agents, it is possible to sin after baptism. When we do, we ought to have such a developed conscience. We are consumed with godly fear, and that leads to repentance, which involves asking God to forgive us. When did the Ethiopian man become a Christian? This case of conversion is instructive on so many levels. We must understand Philip told him about baptism. The main subject was Jesus the Christ as foretold by Isaiah. When the man wanted to know how to respond, we can assume Philip told him to be baptized because he asked to be baptized. He became a Christian when he was baptized. And this, of course, is in harmony with all the other cases of conversion. Philip is a good example of a great teacher. He listened to the man's interest. He used scripture. He spoke to him about Jesus Christ, gave him the response to be baptized. When people ask us what something means in the Bible, we need to picture a door that is open. It is an opportunity for us to lead someone out of sin to Christ. Philip is a good example of a personal evangelist. Joy is a product of conversion. There is an emotional element to conversion, but the emotional element is not the cause. Rather, it is the result. It is not that you have this joy infused in you and then you know that you're saved. Rather, you listen to the message, you obey the gospel, and then as a product of the activity of faith in your obedience to the gospel, the result is the joy of salvation. We hope you have that joy. We hope you who are listening and watching have the joy of salvation that became your possession as a gift from God when you responded obediently to Jesus Christ. Our next class is set for December 13, and that will be Acts chapter 9. Be safe physically and spiritually.